Uh, hello, my name is Leah Purcell. I'm a Gold Gungri Waka Waka Murray woman. I'm a writer, actor, director, producer, big noter. <laughs> Mother, grandmother. So your film, The Drover Wife, it aims to retell a colonial story through a black lens. Why do you think that's important for audiences, particularly right now? Um, well, as a black fella, that's how I tell my yarns, and that's the truth of my stories. Um, and I think it's important that not only um, for non-Indigenous people but our own mob, you know, to remember the, our past and what our, our elders um, and ancestors went through. I think it's an opportunity for truth-telling. Um, through the arts, you can pull at people's heartstrings or make them really think about things when, when, when we can apply that level of our truth in drama. And it's, it's a vehicle that we have access to a very wide and broad audience. So it's important that we be at the helm of these stories and leading the way and letting our voices be heard. Amazing. And truth-telling is such a huge element of this film. How have you portrayed strong black characters to tell the truth? Yeah, well, they're all based on family members. Um, so Yarika in the film is based on my great-grandfather um, and some of his journey. Um, Molly is a reflection of my mother and, and, and aunties, you know, the strength of women um, and, and, and also for women on the land, whether they're black or white, you know. Um, and, and for me, my mentors told me if, if you're going to do something and it's your first, make sure you know it intimately. And as, as an Indigenous person, I wanted to put... Um, I always put our, you know, my my black stories in those in my in my works because it gives it a, a foundation of truth, and I feel connected to it and I understand it more. And it's the opportunity to give a voice to my mother and my grandmother who were silenced, and to allow their stories to be told on a very wide platform. Is, is important to me personally um, because what they went through, the trials and tribulations and the heartache, you know, it's sort of, I'm giving back to them and knowing that their story still lives in me and it's important that we hear them. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, you mentioned that, you know, Molly Johnson reminds you of your mum. How special was that to be able to, you know, get that character on, on our screens? Yeah, well, Molly Johnson was based on, on, on my mum and, and my aunts, but... My mum would read that story to me. So it was a Henry Lawson short story uh, published in 1892. And I don't know why my mum had that book of all his short stories, but um, that was my favourite and she would recite it to me. And it was something that I carried for 40 years before I actually did something with it. But it just stayed with me because I think as a five-year-old, it was the first time I allowed my imagination or my imagination connected to a story uh, because I thought I was that little boy. It was just me and my mum at home, even though I come from a family of seven, all the um, a lot younger and the older ones were away. So it was just me and my mum, and I saw me and that little boy. Um, in the Henry Lawson story, that little boy was his mother's protector. I was my mum, my mum's protector. Um, you know, we had a wood heap. Uh, my mum could split a log. She taught me to, you know, stack a wood heap, and she would say, stack it properly, 
because we don't want snakes getting in under. So when, it, when, when she would say those things to me in real life and then heard it in the story, I, would, uh, I really connected to it. And when I was, I was a mongrel sleeper when I was a kid, so I'd say, Mum, Mum, tell me that story. Mm-hmm. And she'd be half asleep telling it, and then I'd stop her because there's a very famous line at the end of it, and I'd get up in my bed and go, Ma, I won't never go a droving. She's going to go to bloody sleep, you know. <laughs> so, and, and, and then, as I said before, my mentors were the ones that said, if you're going to do something, do something you know. And it was just, I don't know, put my producer's hat on and I go, how am I going to get bums on seats into cinemas? Why don't you take an Australian classic written by one of our famous poets? And, you know, so it was an audience of 80-year-olds to 16-year-olds because now Henry Lawson's stories and Benjo Patterson's stories are coming back and being taught. And what I did get was a lot of um, young people coming and saying, we're so glad that, yes, we did our study in the classroom on how Henry Lawson saw it, but when we, we, we love the fact that we could come to see your film and get a different perspective. The silent perspective because other than being the bad guy in Henry Lawson's story that's all they were the bad blacks you know but it was great to see another perspective and coming it from that indigenous um, lens and and angle they said um, it was really they said we actually liked that better (laughs) and I said thank you but um, but you know I think you've got to have it's just two sides there's two sides to every story Mm -hmm. and that's what I've done uh, with Henry Henry Lawson's Drover's wife. Yeah. yeah, you've done it amazingly. Thank um, you. I really loved yours and Danny's relationship. I think Malachi's yeah. his name in real life. Can you talk to me about that and maybe how you know maybe being a mother and a grandmother has had made that? It felt so real watching you guys. Yeah, tell me a bit more about about your relationship. Yeah, well, there's a, there's an actual backstory to me and Malachi's relationship because um, when he when when I do my auditions, I always throw a wild card in. It might be because they've got a great jawline. They've got freckles. They've got red hair. So when I was going through stuff, you know, when I got Malachi's photo, there he was, black fellow with red hair and freckles. And he was a dancer. That's what he said he, he was. And I actually was just going to get him to be in the very last scene with all the kids and, and have him be what, that the boy in the end there. Um, he walked in 10 minutes late from the audition, for the audition. There's all kids from all over Australia there. There's about, I think I had about eight of them. But I wanted to just throw Mal in because, I, because I'm an actor that also looks at the physicality of a person. And him being a dancer, I just wanted to put a bit of pressure on the actors. Um, within 30 seconds of him walking in the room, I just looked at him and I said, it's him. Before he even spoke, I said, it's, it's him. Anyway, we were going through an exercise and I sort of said, mate, jump in. But I, I sort of put him on the spot and I said, you'll be right, off you go. And, and yeah, as I said, within 10 seconds of joining that circle, he was in control of it. And I just knew. So then I watched him all the way through it. So he was only supposed to stay till lunchtime and go. And I looked over and his mum, they got a flat tyre. She had a little baby, you know, she was a bit frantic. And I said, kid, I don't want you to leave. I want you to actually go and learn these lines and I want you to audition for the lead role. And he looked at his mother and he sort of had a look and I went, don't you want to do it? And he said, yeah, but I just don't want to walk home. I said, mate, I will drive you to the moon and back. And I said to him, go outside and learn those lines. So he's out there kicking the footy, not even looking at the book. And I'm, you know, the poor other kids, I'm sort of trying to give my attention to them. And I'm going, that kid, you know. So anyway, he finally coming. He was last. He got up. I got him to do it. But he, yeah, he, he reminded me of me when I was younger. I wasn't a very good reader and would have went and kicked the football around too. So away he went. I said, stop, mate. I said, I know who you are. I said, you're not a reader. He said, nah. 
He said, but if you give me 24 hours, I could smash this out for your aunt. I said, no. I said, I'll give you a week. I said, but just, just parrot me. So I started doing stuff and he just copied me. I said, yeah, you'll be right. He said, yeah, no, I will be. Cut to the week. So he walks in, in this private schoolboy outfit. And I went, who the hell are you? He said, it's me, Malachi. I said, yeah, I know, but what? He said, yeah, I've got a scholarship for playing footy. Uh, you know, I went, oh, okay. I said, this is new. And then he's looking at me and I go, do you want to say something? He said, yeah, you know my dad. And I went through my filing cabinet in my head and I went, are you Malcolm's son? And he said, yes. So here's the story with Malcolm. His dad was 10, year old, 10 years old and I was out, I was on the scout for my first short film and we needed a little curry fella and we're cruising up through Glebe <laughs> and here's this kid with this massive lock of blonde curls on a scooter, 10 years old, cruising up and I went, that's the kid. And I went, we pulled up, and he's sort of, and he's very street smart, his dad. And we pulled up, I said, You don't know me, don't panic, we're Corey's, it's all good. Where do you live? He said, I'm not that stupid. You know, and I went, Very good, very good. I said, But you stay here, you tell me where you live, I want to talk to your mum. And he gave me the address, and away we went. And then about 15 minutes later, he rocked up. And, he, and I said, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a, a short film. It's my first, and I'd like you to be in it. So there you go. So I couldn't give his dad a job when he was 10, but I, I, it was just sort of fate. I, I could give Malachi a lead role, you know. Um, and, yeah, and I, and I nearly fell over. Because when, when I met Mal, he sort of came, Mal, um, Malcolm, his dad, he sort of was living with us off and on for three years, you know. He'd, he'd come over and hang out and, you know, I was still trying to get the, the show up but it sort of didn't, didn't get up. But I went, oh, my gosh. I said, that's, you know, 12 years ago. Knew your family and here you are, you know, to, to come. So, yeah, so he, and it was, I did feel like his grandmother, you know, because I knew his dad. And then, and, 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 and because we had that family connection and, you know, he's, he's very street smart kid, so we didn't treat him like a kid, you know, we, we, and, and it just, he, it was a trust with us and it was a trust with him. And he, he absolutely loved, um, fell in love with my, my my partner who was one of the producers and you need that actor producer relationship and and the other th- the other three kids that were in there mm-hmm. they're all little black fellas from other parts of Australia and um, you know there's so many rules to um, working with kids um, and you can only have them four hours stint and they would come and they wouldn't want to leave. And I went, you've got to go because you're going to get me in trouble. But we want to stay, we want to, you know. And, and, and you, just, you just let – I trusted them to do – I just wanted them to be kids. I let them have control. I let them collaborate. Leah, can we do this? I said, yeah, you know, because then I got, got great results. But they were amazing, mm. beautiful, you know, children. And I'm so grateful that I found them. And they wanted to be in my film. So, yeah, The Drover's Life has been selected as part of NITV's Always Was, Always Will Be content collection this year. What do you want audiences to get out of it? Yeah. Well, firstly, I want to say that I'm so honoured to be a part of that list. Um, It's important that our stories have these sort of avenues to be at the forefront and for a wider audience to see. You know, it's free to air. Um, what I want my audiences to take away is, first, I hope that they think it's a great film. I'm an artist. I want my work to be liked, at least. But secondly, and I guess the undercurrent, is is the truth-telling in the film and that the audiences listen and hear the voice of truth in this story. 
you know, as I said, Yadika is based on my great-grandfather and that journey. And you know what? I could sit down with my audiences and one day I might do it. But I could go through nearly every frame of that film and open up a, a frame and go, there's another film underneath this. There's an element in there about my grandmother. And it's, um, I don't want to give anything away, but um, it's towards the end. And there's a piece of paper that Molly has. And what she does with that piece of paper represents my grandmother's stolen generation uh, journey herself. And that's what we are as Blackfellas in our storytelling. Our stories are so layered. And they, that they are layered for the future because that's our dreaming. Our, te- our dreaming lives in the future. Our dreaming lives in the past. Our dreaming lives now. So this film will, will project to the future. It projects back to the past and it sits in our present. 